the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. The title of the message today is The Second Triumphal Gathering. The Second Triumphal Gathering. Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week. The greatest week in the, his, in the history of the world. More has taken place to lift up men and women and to grant them salvation than any other time that we can think of. Over the years, I have preached on various aspects of the Palm Sunday story. And after 38 years here, I'm not certain if I can say too much that I have not said already. Today I want to change how we go about things. Rather than dealing with the first triumphal entry, I want to deal with the triumphal entry part two. It's the first triumphal entry recorded in the Gospels reminds us of what was. The second reminds us of what will be. Listen to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos as he received a vision from the Lord. He says, after this, after the vision of these things, I looked and there was a great number of people so many that no one could count them. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language of the earth. They were all standing before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. They were shouting in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Like the first triumphal entry or the first Palm Sunday, there are palm branches, cheers, and Jesus is in the center of it all again. But there are some differences. The first crowd was a mixture of believers and unbelievers, The second crowd will be made up of only believers and the angels. The first crowd looked forward to what might be. 
The second crowd looked at what is. The first crowd focused on the hope of temporal deliverance. The second crowd looks at eternal and spiritual deliverance. Now the reason the second triumphal gathering will be far superior to the first triumphal entry can be summarized in three statements. Number one, we will understand the greatness of God and his grace toward us. We'll understand the greatness of God and his grace toward us. Many of us have talked to people who have experienced severe grief. We have, we have been compassionate and sensitive. But when we experienced a grief like theirs, our tone changes. We become softer. Our empathy becomes greater. Because now we understand. It's like that with sin and grace. We use the words, but we don't really understand. On that day, we will. At present, there are things we do that are wrong. We can measure our lives by the scriptures and see that we often fail to meet the standards that God has set for us. We love the Lord and we want to please him. But we really do not have any idea of how offensive sin is to our holy God. We have not begun to comprehend how far we have fallen from God's standard. You see, there is a part of us that sees the wrong that we do and, and draws comfort from the fact that others do the same thing. We even feel good that we are not as bad as others. But we are missing the point. We are not called to measure our lives by other people. We are called to measure our lives by the Lord Jesus Christ. When we see God in his holiness, we'll realize our true nature. When we see the real greatness of his character, we will understand the depth of our need. This was the experience of everyone who encountered God in the scriptures. Isaiah describes it its best. When he saw God, he felt sure he would die. And so in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, we read, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on his throne, high and exalted, and his robe filled the whole temple. Round him flaming creatures were standing, each of which had six wings. Each creature covered its face with two wings and its body with two, and used the other two for flying. They were calling out to each other, Holy, 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 the Lord God mighty is holy. His glory fills the world. I said, there is no hope for me. I am doomed because every word that passes my lips is sinful. I am doomed because, let's, let's go back over that. He said, 
there's no, there's no hope for me. I'm doomed because every word that passes my lips is sinful, and I live among a people whose every word is sinful. And yet, with my own eyes, I've seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, Isaiah was known as a righteous and holy man. He was a prophet of the Lord. Yet when he encountered God, he saw the depth of the sin in his life. When we see God, there will be no excuses. Comparisons will be futile. We will know that we deserve God's wrath. But not only will we see the greatness of God and understand our sinfulness, but we will see for the very first time the depth of God's mercy and grace to us. In Revelation chapter 7, 13 and 14, we read, Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people dressed in white robes? Where did they come from? I answered, You know, sir. And the elder said to me, These are the people who have come out of the great distress. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. See, on that day, we will realize that we stand before the Lord of heaven only by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us at Calvary. We'll realize that it is not due to our efforts, but to his grace. We'll understand that we have received a mercy that is so wonderful that we could never, never begin to repay him. Only then will we realize the price that was paid for our redemption. Only then will we see what our Savior set aside so that he could save us from our sins. Only then will we see the way that God has worked in our lives to draw us unto himself. We'll see and be overwhelmed. And so we will spend the rest of eternity in gratitude and worship. Not because we have to, but because it's the only response that we can have. No arrogance, no sense of superiority, no ranking um, ourselves against others. Only worship. And even the angelic host, those that have been a part of this great act of redemption, when they see the multitude of those the Lord has redeemed, will bow in worship and praise to God. And so look at what John says in Revelation chapter 7, 11, and 12. It says, All the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. Then they all bowed down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. But the second thing is that we will be on the other side of our struggles. So the second 
um, triumphal gathering will be on the other side of our struggles. It may just be my imagination, but it sure seems like the struggle um, in our society and with life itself becomes more intense every day. Everywhere we turn, we see people going through very difficult times, difficult circumstances. People are struggling with illness, financial problems, family problems, on-the-job problems, relationship problems, and grief due to the loss of loved ones. It is sometimes a real effort to just keep putting one foot in front of the other for so many people. And that is why this passage is such an encouragement for us. It reminds us that the struggle will not go on forever. That even though it seems like it will never end. In our passage, John asks who these white-robed people are. And he's told these are those who have come out of the great tribulation or out of the great distress. He said, these are the ones who have survived the trials of life. These are the ones who have remained faithful, even though life was painful and hard. These are the believers who kept the faith. This picture gives us strength and helps us to keep on keeping on. It is tough to keep going if you don't see a purpose to what is going on. In fact, I've heard that one of the most devastating punishments in a concentration camp is when the captors make their prisoners do meaningless labor. They may have to move a pile of rocks from one spot to the other, and all day they are doing this. It is labor without a purpose, and eventually it eats away at a person's willingness to go on, and sometimes they just want to end their lives. Life can be like that. We face obstacles, obstacle after obstacle. We get through one operation and another is waiting. We pay off one debt and another makes its claim on us. We get one child healthy and the other gets sick. We cross off one item from our to-do list and add three others. We survive one crisis and another wave of trouble washes over us. I've always wondered why people run marathons. Most know they have no chance of winning. During the race, they encounter cramps, they battle exhaustion, and at times dehydration. They spend months punishing uh, themselves and depriving themselves in preparation for this long, exhausting run. Why? Most tell us that it is because of the joy and satisfaction that comes when you cross the finish line. It is not the winning, it is the surviving and conquering that brings joy. Now, that description does not really inspire me to take up marathon running. But it does help me to understand what it will be like in heaven. We run now for the glory of finishing the course. And the Apostle Paul himself said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 7 and 8, I have fought 
a good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that great day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return. Amen. See, Paul does not say it had been easy. You see, it was a fight, but he's still standing. The thing that kept him going, the thing that keeps us going, is knowing that someday we'll stand before the throne of God and hear him pronounce, well done, good and faithful servant. Then it will be worth it all. On that day, the race will be over. We will have crossed the finish line. And as we run the race of life, we need to keep that day in our minds to motivate us. But the third thing is we will begin to experience the life we never dared to imagine. We'll begin to experience the life we never dared to imagine. Listen again to John in Revelation chapter 7, 15 through 17. And the one who sits on the throne will be present with them. Those people will never be hungry again, and they will never be thirsty again. The sun will not hurt them, and no heat will burn them, because the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of water that give life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. But also notice there are similar words in Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the home of God is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will remove all their sorrows, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, for the old world and its evils are gone forever. See, do you, do you hear what is being said? There's coming a day when we will no longer hunger or thirst for more. We will no longer battle the forces of nature. There will be no more tornadoes, no more hurricanes, no more earthquakes, no more winter storms, no more mosquitoes or flies. Nature will only yield joy. We will no longer have reason to cry except for joy. No more sorrow, no more disappointment, no more devastating losses, no more bullies. We will never have to bury someone we love again. We will know forgiveness, not only being set free from punishment, but we will also be set free from the memories of what we have done. The scars will be healed, the guilt will be silenced, the stain will be gone. Oh, what a day that will be. 
He said, there will be no more cancer, praise God. No more arthritis. No more Alzheimer's. And no more flu. There will be no need for eyeglasses. No need for walking canes. No need for dentures. None of the limitations of, of getting older. There will be no more frustration. There will be no more disappointment. There will be no more failure. There will be no more using people to get ahead. No more hurtful words. And the list could go on and on. But the point is simple. In that coming day, we will be granted the life we have always longed for. It's a life we didn't think possible. But it was God who placed that hunger in our hearts. And someday he will satisfy it. So what do we do in light of these, of these facts? How do these um, things that I've talked about affect us now? First, we need to ask if this will be our destination. Will we be in the crowd that day? Will we, will we be among those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb? The Bible says this will be a large crowd that no one could count. But it will also be an exclusive crowd. There will be people who knew the right words who will be absent. There will be those who went to church every Sunday who won't be there. There will be those who were baptized who are missing. There will be those who have done great works, even miracles, who will not be included. So who will be present? Only those who tied their future to what Jesus Christ did for them on Calvary's cross. Only those who recognize their need for a savior and who really trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. They aren't playing at religion. They trust Jesus for salvation, for guidance, for wisdom, for grace. They trust him in times of trials as well as in times of blessing. So what do you think? Will you be present that day? If you don't think so, it's still not too late. You can right now, where you are, whether you are listening by radio or you are in this congregation, you can surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You can say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Take my life and make me the kind of person that you want me to be. But let me ask you some more questions. In light of what is ahead, how do you now define what is important? In light of heaven, how do you deal with difficult times and people differently? In light of what is ahead, how will you change your approach to your unsaved friends and family members? How do you deal with the need to amass material stuff when you can't take it with you? It will serve you no good purpose then. But we need to keep this in perspective. How will these truths affect your enthusiasm for living? He was just a little fellow. 
His mother died when he was just a child. His father, in trying to be both dad and mom, had planned a picnic. The boy had never been on a picnic. And so they made plans, fixed the lunch and, and um, packed the car. Then it was time to go to bed for the picnic was the next day. But the little fellow just couldn't sleep. He tossed and he turned, but the excitement got to him. Finally, he got out of bed, ran uh, to the room where his dad had already fallen asleep, shook him. His father uh, woke up and saw his son and he said, son, what are you, what are you doing here? What's the matter? And the boy said, I can't sleep. And the father asked, why can't you sleep? In answering, the boy said, Daddy, I'm excited about tomorrow. His father replied, well, son, I'm sure you are, and it's going to be a great day. But it won't be great if you don't get some sleep. So why don't you just run down the hall and get back in bed and get a good night's rest? So the boy went back down uh, to his room and went into bed, but he still could not sleep. So it wasn't long thereafter that he was back pushing and shoving his father. And his father opened his eyes, harsh words almost blurted out until he saw the expression on the face of his son. And the father asked, what is the matter now, son? And the boy said, Daddy, I just want to thank you for tomorrow. So when you and I stop and think of where we were when the father found us, when we, wonder, when we consider the means that he used to draw us to himself, when we think about what life would have been without him, we can't help but be moved to gratitude. And when we think about what's in store for everyone who believes, when we think about the glory of standing in the crowd in heaven to praise our precious Lord, when we think about that day when we will no longer hunger or thirst, when all dangers will be abolished, where the living water is our refreshment and all tears are wiped away, when we think about that day when the shepherd will lead us, we too will find ourselves lifting the palm branches to sing Hosanna. And even and every now and then, we will find ourselves swept up in the wonder of anticipation. And we too will say, Father, we just want to thank you for tomorrow. Then no load will be too heavy to bear. Then no problem will be too difficult to handle. No job will be too difficult to perform. No obstacle will be too big to overcome. And no hardship will be too rough to handle. As the hymn writer says, Oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past. Home at last, ever to rejoice. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 8 a.m. and at 10.45 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 10.30 for another inspiring message of hope and faith. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.